Welcome to the Pursuing Life Podcast. I'm your host, Monica Kirsch. Every week, I'll be sitting down with people from the Calvary Church family to hear stories of what God is doing in, around, and through them as they take intentional steps to pursue life in Jesus Christ. We believe that storytelling is powerful. God has made himself known to us through the stories of the Bible. Jesus told parables or small stories to teach kingdom lessons to his followers. And God continues to write stories of his goodness and faithfulness through the lives and experiences of his church, ordinary people just like you and me. Throughout the year, we come together as a church for what we call Global Focus, which is a time for us to intentionally come together to reflect on our value of going into God's world. As we enter our spring Global Focus, we'll be joined on Pursuing Life by a few of our global partners who are actively extending the gospel to others right here and around the globe. I recently had the opportunity to connect remotely with Bobby and Michelle Law, who live and serve in Taiwan. Right now, Taiwan is 12 hours ahead of Pennsylvania, so even though I was greeting them by saying good morning and they were saying good evening, it was such a blessing to be able to utilize technology to catch up with them and hear about the work that God's doing across the world. The laws focus on engaging working class people in least reached communities and emerging generations who are interested in missions. They've been church planting for nearly 30 years and it's their desire to see leaders raised up within the churches they plant and that eventually those churches would fulfill the great commission by sending out their own missionaries. As you listen, I would encourage you to pay attention to ways that you can be praying for Bobby and Michelle as you consider how you can be actively participating in God's transforming work in the world. So thank you for being essentially our guinea pigs in our first remote interview. Um, But Bobby and Michelle, thank you for taking the time to join us here on the podcast. Thank you. We are looking we're really excited to have this opportunity to share our hearts and we just hope that everything will turn out right. <laughs> yes, for sure. So to start, can you introduce yourselves? Tell us where you live and where you do ministry and how long you've been connected at Calvary Church. I'm an ethnic Chinese born and raised in Malaysia. And I, I went to college at University of North Carolina in Charlotte. I wasn't a believer when I went to college. You know, in college, you know, you have to eat cafeteria food or Western food. I wasn't used to that. So I really miss Chinese food. And someday someone came to up to me and say, hey, Bobby, if you want to eat Chinese food, go to a Chinese church. Hey, I did. I went to church and eat the Chinese food. You know, guess what? I also met Michelle there. And of course, um, not only the food, God filled my tummy. God also, you know, brought my better half. And Michelle led me to Christ in college. That's incredible. Yes. So I'm also an ethnic Chinese born and raised in Hong Kong. I also went to the same school. Although my parents, they were not believers. They sent me to Christian schools. So I was safe in my senior high school in Hong Kong. So after we graduated from UNC Charlotte, we got married a year after that. And in 1989, God called us to serve with Ambassadors for Christ. And we moved to Lancaster. Currently, uh, we live in Taichung City, which is the central part of Taiwan. It's about two and a half hours drive south of Taipei. Uh, We have been doing ministry in Taiwan for 27 years. 
when we moved to uh, Lancaster in 1989, we worshipped at the Chinese church and the church meet in uh, Calvary Church at that time. And we have been connected with Calvary Church, what, since um, 2004? Yeah. Wow. How did you get connected with the University of North Carolina? Well, uh, you know, I applied to many, many schools in the States, and that's the only school that accepted me for enrollment. And for me, that was the only school I applied because my brother is still there living in Charlotte. And um, I came from a very poor family, and he said if I wanted to come to America to study, then I could stay with him. So that's the only school I can afford. So for both of you, did you always want to come to the States for school? Was that sort of always the plan, or did that come about later in your high school years? Yes. I guess we, we watch too many TVs. <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, growing out in a black and white TV, and a lot of that are uh, uh, Western movies. So, yeah, I say I want to go to America to study when I graduate from high school. Yeah. Um, at that time, in Hong Kong, there were only two universities. So you have to be the top 10% of the student population to get into those universities. And I'm like in the 50 percentile. So I knew I couldn't go to university in Hong Kong. So I've always wanted to go somewhere to study. So um, at that time, a friend was in America and he helped me to get a visa to go to America. So that has always been my American dream. For each of you, I would love to hear a bit about when you first sensed that you were being drawn into global ministry and when did you start to pursue it and maybe why Taiwan? To make a long story short, when I came to study in the U.S., my father expected me to major in a degree that makes a lot of money. He told me either a doctor, a lawyer, or engineer. When I see blood, I faint. So doctor is out. And I'm not a public speaker, so lawyer is out. So the only option left is engineering. So uh, after I graduated from college, I could not find an engineering job. So I was trying to figure out my life. I realized that I was good in math. So I decided where can I uh, you know, use my gift in math? Well, I look around and I say, well, maybe I can self-study and take the CPA exam. But when I was preparing for the exam, I realized that it was too hard and I, I didn't think I can pass. I make a bold prayer to God. God, if I pass the exam, I will serve you wherever you want me to. You know, you probably guessed the result of the exam. Yes, I passed the exam. When I started working as a CPA, I forgot about the prayer. Three years later, after I passed the exam, it was at a mission conference. The, the conference was uh, organized by Ambassador of Christ. I was very surprised to see so many need of uh, people who have experience in business and accounting. As I walked around and saw, you know, just different um, mission booths and that the need was so high. So that was the first sense of, I know that God wants to use my training in the mission field. I look Chinese, but I don't write Chinese. So I decided to explore places that I did not have to write Chinese. Guess what? My first choice was Alaska, because Alaska is still part of the U.S. <laughs> For two years, Michelle and I could not agree to go on to Alaska. We took a vision trip to Alaska. Interesting enough, God closed all the door except Taiwan. So in the beginning of our explore for missions, I was not ready to leave America. 
it was my dream coming to America. And I, I tried very hard to prove to Bobby that God was not calling us to leave America. <laughs> and uh, everything that I tried failed. <laughs> so in February 1996, God used a Bible study in Study and Share, led by Eileen Kuhn, to convict me of his calling out of America. And at that time, I submitted to God, and we left for America in June 1996. With Christina, um, our daughter was three years old, and our son Desmond was uh, two and a half months old. Wow, that's so interesting that neither of you wanted to leave the States. Nope. <laughs> and yet God had another plan. Right, yes. right, yeah. So, um, yeah, we have different reasons for not wanting to leave America, but then you know, God changes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what has your ministry in Taiwan looked like since you moved there? And then how has it changed over the years? What has it involved? Well, for the first seven years, I was the business manager of the mission headquarters. Michelle was raising kids and uh, helping other missionaries doing parenting and English classes. We went to a local school. We had the opportunity to teach Bible songs and story in the classroom for four years and helped start the first church plan near the school. So um, then later on, our children start attending Morrison Academy, which is their missionary children's school in Taichung. And um, I was invited to help with the finance and administration of Morrison Academy. So together with other missionary teachers, we helped start the second plant, which is a bilingual church that reaches to Morrison and its surrounding communities. Um, but due to health reasons, I resided from Morrison after serving there for 10 years. After serving as business manager for 15 years, we felt God was calling us to mobilize churches in Taiwan and U.S. to send people, especially young professionals, into cross-cultural ministries. At the same time, we received a request from the National Church to help start a church in the countryside. So for the last 10 years, we've been partnering with the National Church in Taichung to plant a church in the countryside, which is about an hour drive from where we are. And we are also involved in mobilization and also journeying with young people in their mission journeys. Have you been encouraged by the stories you've heard on Pursuing Life? God is doing a great work in the lives of His people, and we know that there are still so many stories to be told. Many of the stories you've heard on Pursuing Life have been told as the result of someone else's encouragement. At times, it's easy to recognize God at work in our stories, but other times, we need others to remind us of the good work they see God doing in our lives. So whether you have a story of your own or a story you want to encourage someone else to share, we invite you to submit those stories at calvarychurch.org slash share a story so that we can continue to celebrate the work that He is doing in, around, and through us. As we do that, we not only give God glory, but encourage each other as we pursue life in Christ together. You know, I think in the church, we often hear about this idea of church planting. And I know, at least for me, I can be a little bit naive about like, what exactly does that mean? What does that involve? So can you expand on what all goes into church planting? Yeah, I think each church plan is different depending on the location and the community we're trying to reach. But we just use the current church plant. Um, so we start with pre-evangelism. 
we we got a request actually from a local school there um, wanting someone to teach English to the students. So that's how we started. We, we had missionaries start teaching English in the school and then we helped them to have summer camps emphasize using English as the main focus of doing the summer camps. And we start reaching out to some of the students that are more for the disadvantaged students at the school. We distribute rice to them, just meeting the needs um, of the school. Then later on, we expanded to the community. So we start offering free haircuts, health check to the community. And we do Mother's Day outreach, some activities that the community could relate to. We couldn't really do Easter and Christmas at that time because they don't know the, these stories. But Mother's Day our, our outreach was the first one that we did in the community. And it was so interesting. Um, we sent out like over hundreds of flyers to the community, advertising for this Mother's Day outreach and inviting the families to come. Um, we, ha we have to actually do it in a temple because that's next to the community center. That's where we have the most space to accommodate. We were expecting uh, over 100 people. So the night before the event, we have not received any registration from back. So we're wondering, okay, how much food should we prepare? We were going to offer lunch and um, are we going to go ahead with it? No one has registered. So we told the head of the community, you know, what, what can we do? And he said, oh, don't worry. We, we don't fill out forms in our community. I, I can help you. So the next morning, he drove his van, which has a PA system, and he broadcasted the event in the morning. And so by noon, we have over 100 people for the Mother's Day outreach. So it was a wonderful time to meet all our neighbors, and uh, they, we had a good and fun time, and the neighbors got to know us. And so that's how we neighbors start warming up to us. And so that's when God has really opened up for us to rent a place in the community. And then the next problem is we couldn't find a place to rent because we said we were a church and we want to rent a place. And most of the landlords say no. As soon as they hear the word church, no. <laughs> so we decided to change our church plan's name to a community center. So we call it Yutian Community Center. So after about a year, we finally rented a place and then our ministry expanded. What we are doing now is that uh, we are still demonstrating God's love through building relationship and trust among the, the neighbors. Uh, we do uh, lessons and also we do Sunday school, just like a church. We do after school program. A lot of these uh, families, uh, they cannot afford to send their kids to after school, you know, pay program like a tutoring. So we help them many math and English. And we do summer camps. The lots of parents they really uh, want to see that you know the character building. Uh, we use the the Bible message to help them to do character buildings. And you know, funny thing is, um, now we are kind of uh, the parents trust us or the community trust us. So we uh, past uh, summer we say, hey, you know, we want to go to a science museum in Taichung. Oh, so many kids they really you know they never been to um to the science museum. So we out of the the, the service is we, we drive them. And we also do outreach activities like Christmas, Easter, Chinese New Year, Mid-Autumn festivals. And also we visit the, the neighbors. A lot of the neighbors are the elderly people and they we care for them, we visit them. We started having church services at the Yutian Community Center. So we start with teaching the local believers um, how to study the Bible and we train them to lead Bible studies. 
And uh, we also have co-workers that can help them to lead worship and play piano. And um, now we're encouraging the local believers to share the gospel with their neighbors. And we encourage them to take up leadership at the church. So we are at a point where we are gradually releasing our responsibility to the local believers. And now we're focusing on providing member care to them. So we will serve meal with them, organize outing with them, encourage them and pray with them. So we're hoping that um, as we work ourselves out of the job, that they will continue to lead the church to the next stage. Yes, for sure. And I think that's so helpful, at least for me to hear, because I, I often will look at like the prayer guides that we have for all of our global partners, and I'll see things about the UTN Community Center. And now it's like, okay, I get it. That's your church. Like I, I understand now what it is that we're being asked to pray for and the work that you're doing. So I just so appreciate that context. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. What kind of intentionality is involved, especially when we're talking about the unreached and the people that don't know about Jesus? I think it's important that we live among them. I think that's the only way that they can see God, because a lot of the people in Taiwan has heard about the gospel, but they have not seen how Christians live out their beliefs. So I think it's important that we live among them. We listen to them, understand their needs. Um, so like, for example, we cannot use the name church. We know that that's, that's a taboo word <laughs> to use in that community. So we use the name community center. And so we learn how we can actually best communicate to them. We, we know that, you know, sending out flyers doesn't help. <laughs> we need to broadcast our events or use other way. And people in Taiwan are very relational. So you really, when you have that relationship, then uh, it makes a whole lot of difference. And so we're also there to meet their needs. Sharing the gospel is not the first thing that we do, but we try to meet their needs. Like um, we have this no-income family that come to our after-school programs to learn English, to get tutoring, to learn music. Those are things that most of the family there cannot afford to send their kids to. And we befriend with them. So invite them to come to our special programs. Now, you know, during Christmas and Easter, those are more religious events. We also have some like traditional Chinese holiday events and we invite them for outing and barbecuing. So when we get to know them and we care for them, visit them, sometimes when they have an accident or when they have special needs at home, then we start building relationship with them. When we gain their trust, then we can share the gospel. Yeah. Then they start inquiring, you know, you know, why? Why are we doing this? Why Why did we come all the way to America to to live among them, to, to share life with them? So that that's when we can share the love of Christ and, and the gospel. You said that church is kind of a taboo word. What is religious freedom like in Taiwan? What? How does that all work? I would say we have a lot of freedom, but that goes to all the religion. Okay. <laughs> so... Buddhist, you have the Taoists and you have the Mormons and you have the atheists, Jehovah Witness too. <laughs> so that goes to all the religions. So people are free to hear. A lot of people in Taiwan has heard about uh, the gospel through various ways, but there are not too many people have the chance that someone to explain to them what gospel is. Um, what what does it relate to them? How 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 can they receive this good news? So yeah, we have a lot of freedom, but um, we also have a lot of competition. Like the first church plant where we did, we were able to go into the local school to teach Bible stories and songs. Now we cannot do that. 
because the Buddhists also learn from the Christians. So they are also asking the school if they can go into the school and tell their Buddhist stories and and their songs. So the school said, no, you know, too many of you. <laughs> if every religion has to come into the school, then the school <laughs> would be too busy. So now we don't have the opportunity to do that. So I think, yeah, we do have the freedom, but we don't know, you know sometimes how, how much longer would that this freedom would be. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time the one of the teachers said, "Hey, can you come in and uh, do a like Easter? You know, I heard about Easter. Can you can you come? You know, tell us our students what what kind of Easter is that?" And then I said, "Are you sure?" He said, "Yes, because we want to do cultural exchange. That means they want to hear what kind of uh, cultures that you know you what, what important days or holidays to you. So we we were able to go in and share the the Easter." I guess that makes sense coming from their perspective because there's just so much around them. It's like they they don't really know which way to turn and they just kind of want to understand what people believe. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about the community center. I'm wondering how do you discern where you do church planting? How did you discern where it was, other than the fact that you were looking for a specific space, but as far as location goes... How do you decide where you're going to plant a church and where you're going to start that community? Like when Michelle mentioned about that, we got a request from the school to do an English camp. So that is when we receive a request to serve in the community. We pray and see that if God will provide a man or woman of peace to start start the, uh, the ministry. So we start praying for you know, co-workers. And then we also pray that God will bring seekers and believers to the communities. In, you know, kind of in a process that God confirmed that is the place that we want to um, start a church. Yeah, yeah, often it's a very slow process. I mean, we are here 27 years, so this is the third church that we plan. I mean, the first five, six years, we're just like, if you're counting the number of people that, that received the gospel, zero. <laughs> the first five, six years was just really a lot of groundwork, a lot of hard work pouring, but um, you don't see much. But you just you just have to believe this is where God has called us to start the church and and keep at it and uh, slowly we see results. Uh, it takes a long time to build relationship with the Taiwanese. So until then, it's, it's very hard to share the gospel. Or if you share, they probably will not be able to make a decision. So uh, yeah, these five six years of just building relationship and trust, and then slowly God will open doors for these people to. I mean, it's amazing the stories that how God led them to come to Christ is out of our imagination. It's definitely not our work, but it, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not that what we say or what we did is really the touch of the Holy Spirit in their lives. For sure. Amen. And that kind of leads me into my next question, too, which is what has been the most difficult part of church planting for you? And then on the flip side of that, what has been the most rewarding and the most fruitful? Majority people of Taiwan, you know, they practice combination of Buddhism and Taoism, um, also Confucianism. So that kind of put together, call that, you know, Chinese folk religion. So, yeah, as I mentioned, the Taiwanese are very relational. It takes time to build relationships and trust with them before you can share the gospel. And sometimes a lot of family opposition and also they're also trapped in a lot of religious tradition and bondage. Especially in the countryside, there's a lot of social pressure and stigma because they the community live close to one another. They know one another. So if one would become a Christian, then it will be looked 
differently upon by other people. So it takes a long time for someone to become a believer. And we have someone that is still a secret believer because she was not able to share her faith with her family. But we welcome her to our church. We continue to nurture her but and pray that you know one day she'll be, her faith will be strong enough that she can share uh, her belief with her family. So um, yeah, a lot of waiting time. Sometimes you don't even see the results. Like the township that we're currently working on doesn't have a high school. So a lot of the children in our after-school program, in our Sunday school program, will eventually attend high school outside the township. We may never see the fruits of our children ministry. And they all raise their hands during the summer camp. They want to believe in Jesus. But, you know, that's children. So we probably will take them when they get older, see if they can actually live out what they believed when they were a child. So And we may never get to see that. So that's that's the difficult part that we have to believe that that we have planted a seed in their hearts and then and just pray that this seed will continue to grow and and you know bear fruit one day. In the Michelle mentioned about this uh, secret believer, you know, in in the countryside they don't have a lot of space in their house. You know, they're all living in kind of a small houses, and she she can get online. So we do have a like an online, but she cannot ask question when she has question. Because space is so, there's no room in the in the place, and everybody's around. So every time she listen to the Sunday school, and she can only type when she asks questions. So we have to answer those questions through typing. So this is some of the just very difficult for people, you know, who cannot kind of openly say that he or she is a Christian. I think rewarding is just to see how how God brought salvation to these people. It's just out of our imagination. You know, we never thought this person, we have an 80-year-old man who who was a Catholic in our community. And um, it was interesting that we would actually find a Catholic in our community. And he he's a farmer. And um, when we first met him, he was very sad. He felt like his family kind of left him there by himself. But um, we continued to share the gospel with him. Because his grandchildren came to our after-school program. Wow. Yeah, so that's how we got to know him. So we, when we continued to share the gospel with him, he finally became the first one that was baptized in our community center. And so he, he comes to our church regularly, and he just brings a lot of, bring a lot of his um, <laughs> fruits and vegetables to us. <laughs> that's yeah. how we are very blessed by him in that way. But yeah. uh, just seeing how God restore lives in, in broken families and where people who have broken marriages and after they come to know Christ and they are willing to start working towards uh, mending their marriage. So that, that's been exciting. And seeing the local believers grow in their faith from just learning how to read the Bible. Now they can actually lead the Bible study. And uh, we're hoping that they would rise up to take leadership at the church. I think that that would be our dream. Yes. Wow. Praise God. That is amazing and literally fruitful <laughs> that <laughs> he's bringing fruit from his farm for you. So that's that's unbelievable. Wow. Praise the Lord for the work that he's doing. I just want to say that, you know, every almost every Sunday we have cabbage, uh, bananas, <laughs> and Corn. <all> corns. <laughs> And you name it, just lots of fruits and just vegetables that we we just are so blessed by. We have to give it away to our neighbors too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this, you know, you just, when people, they want to kind of, uh, you know, share the, you know, return the love that, that, that he, you know, he received from God. Yeah. 
Yeah. And what a way to bless your community too. Absolutely. When you think about the future, what are your hopes for ministry and and what's sort of your vision as you continue to pursue God's heart for the world? Well, as we mentioned that we've been training the local believers um, to lead the Bible study, encourage them to lead worship and start small group. I'll pray for them that they will continue to make disciples for the nations and that they will pick up leadership at the church. And we are also hoping that our church will become a mission church. So we are slowly introducing the idea of missions to the church. And uh, so this past Sunday, our speaker is a missionary appointee who's planning to go to Maine. So we're encouraging the members to pray and give to us his support and his family. And uh, I would pray that they would. this mission is, is not going to be forgotten in the church plan, that it will continue to be part of the church DNA. And as far as for the children, we're hoping these children will come back one day to, uh, to become teachers of the after-school programs and the Sunday school teachers and the leaders of the church. So that, that would be our prayer and hope for the children in our children program. This was a, sun, a Sunday afternoon, you know, right after the, the lunch. We are saying that there's a lot of the kids, you know, from the from the Sunday school. And, and we were praying that I said, one of you will come back and get married in this place. So we are hoping that not just baptism in the church, hoping that one of those, you know, the little ones will come back and get married in the church. That was also, we would just uh, talk about that. That was one Sunday afternoon. Yeah, that would be so wonderful. So you mentioned some of your prayers for the church. How can those listening be joining with you in prayer as we're seeking to extend the gospel both right here and around the globe as people of Calvary Church? You know, Taiwan, there's still a lot of places that people need to explain to them what the gospel is. The Christian population in Taiwan, depending on you know where you are located, between five to six percent. Like places where we doing the church planting now. One time we um we have about hundred students came to our uh, summer camp and we asked them to fill out. Only one Christian, only one person said that he's a Christian. You know, coming from a Christian family, so it's really you know even less than one percent sometimes in those uh, countryside. So we are we are just praying for more workers, and uh, you know God will send more workers to Taiwan, especially to the countryside. In the countryside, there's a lot of spiritual bondage, and its spiritual battles very real for peoples in our neighbors, and they can actually see spirits. And when they come to church or read the Bible or listen to hymns, they had oppositions from the dark forces. So this is very scary to them. So just pray that God will remove all this uh, spiritual bondage and these people's life. And um, then we're also praying that our local believers will continue to grow in their faith and they will commit to serve in the church. And the church body will see missions as part of the DNA in the church. And they'll be willing to pray and give towards missions. And it'll be our dream. The church will send out its own missionaries to fulfill the Great Commission. And our second church that we planted just sent out the missionaries last year. Wow. We planted the church 20 years ago, and then after 10 years in the church, we we left and started the third church plant. But uh, in, in the last 10 years, the church have grown, and then eventually they sent out their own missionaries last year. So it's our hope this third church, church plant that we're doing, that one day it will also send out their own missionaries to fulfill the Great Commissions. Last but not least, we're going to be grandparents in May, so just... Uh, Pray for delivery for our granddaughter. <laughs> oh, congratulations. That's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. We are looking forward to seeing her in May. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, we will definitely 
be praying on that end for you. And yeah, I'm just so grateful for all that you have shared. Like I said, we see your pictures around church. We see them in our um, global prayer guides. And it's just so helpful to have some context and to hear of the incredible work that God is doing in Taiwan and through your ministry. And so thank you for sharing and giving us more to pray for because we know that God is not done yet. Thank you. We are just grateful for this opportunity and pray that God will send more workers through this podcast and people will understand more about the needs in Taiwan and be burdened too. And globally, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, amen. Well, thank you guys. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. I often read Bobby and Michelle's prayer requests in our quarterly Global Ministries prayer guides, and this conversation really helped me to understand the context behind what I read in those guides. I hope the same was true for you and that you will commit to praying for Bobby and Michelle as they continue to engage the people in their communities and show them the love of Christ. We have a brand new volume of the Global Prayer Guide releasing on April 30th, so be sure to pick one up in the lobby next time you're here at church. As always, don't forget to subscribe to Pursuing Life so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in and have a great week.